Connects Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing a seizure drug being recalled over a faulty seal and what we know so far about the COVID-19 Omicron variant. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Sarah Hand, Editor-in-Chief at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid, Sydney Perlmutter, Mira Nabolsi, and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today, everyone. Uh, just before we get started, I wanted to um, welcome Vera to the team and welcome her to the podcast and really looking forward to uh, hearing her insights and some of the stories we talk about today. Thank you so much, Sarah, for the kind introduction. Yeah, thanks for being here. And um, also just wanted to mention to our audience that this will be my last podcast recording before I go on uh, maternity leave. So hopefully I'll be back in January, 2023. But in the meantime, I'll be uh, listening into the podcast myself while I'm off. So um, I think that's it for me. I'll pass it over to you, Aisha. All right. So thanks, Sarah. Everyone's weekends must have been filled, of course, with news of the latest variant of SARS-CoV-2. Omicron. Now, the World Health Organization on Friday declared the new variant that was first identified in South Africa and first referred to as B11529 to be a variant of concern and named it after the Greek letter Omicron. Now, the Technical Advisory Group on SARS-CoV-2 Virus Evolution, or TAG-VE, met on Friday to discuss the new variant two days after it was reported first to the Global Health Agency by health officials from South Africa. The new variant was seen to be a cause of one of several major peaks in COVID-19 cases in South Africa, and one of the most recent ones was caused by the Delta variant, and and the other one seems to have been caused by Omicron. Now, infections in the country have been on the rise uh, in recent weeks, and it's estimated that almost 90% of all new cases are attributable to Omicron now. Now, what do we know about Omicron so far? Well, not much. So, some cases appear to be mild, according to a few health professionals, but then some experts are also saying that we just don't know enough enough yet, and we could see more mild to severe cases as well as more and more people get infected with this new strain of the virus. There are also reports coming out that they're also seeing younger people presenting with uh, moderate to severe disease. And of course, elderly individuals and people with chronic health conditions are at a greater risk for complications due to the new variant and from any strain of SARS-CoV-2 for that matter, really. Now, while South Africa appears to be the likely country of origin of the virus, Botswana is also um, being thought of as a or country of origin for this virus. But in any case, it really doesn't matter um, the, the country of origin, 
this is obviously we're in a pandemic, a global health uh, issue, and so countries have been racing to actually shut down their borders and to implement travel bans um, in light of the news of Omicron. So countries like the U.S., the U.K., Canada uh, were among the first to announce travel bans to um, countries from the Southern Africa region, including South Africa and Botswana. Now, what we do know so far is that the Omicron variant of concern appears to have a lot of mutations, and that kind of raises concerns that it may change the behavior of the virus, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, people are saying in, worse, in the worst case scenario, it would cause the virus to be more transmissible, but we don't know that for sure yet. Um, of the mutations, there are 32 alone that are present in the spike protein of the virus. And of course, the spike protein is the critical protein that um, mediates entry of the virus into host cells by binding to receptors on human cells. Now, scientists in South Africa first detected this new lineage a week ago, and the National Institute of Communicable Diseases of the country alerted uh, global health authorities shortly thereafter. Also, the variant has now been found in places like Hong Kong, um, Belgium, Israel, and the UK, Canada. So it's really present all over the world. Again, we're in a global pandemic, so this was obviously inevitable. So it, some say that the travel bans seem to kind of be, you know, they may not be very uh, useful at this point. Also, uh, South, some officials in South Africa are also kind of angry at being uh, singled out in terms of, oh, well, this is a new South African variant. And we've had other variants come out from South Africa, or rather first identified in South Africa. And the reason for that is that South Africa has a very strong infectious disease um, monitoring and surveillance system because they say that they're located in Africa, a country that has a lot of other infectious diseases that they have to contend with, like malaria and TB. And so that's why their public health systems um, are very well equipped to monitor and uh, for the surveillance of infectious diseases. And so that's why they're really able to readily identify, um, in this case, new, any new potential variants of SARS-CoV-2 as well. So it was uh, interesting seeing some of the commentary on Twitter from uh, health officials in South Africa and how they're really kind of uh, annoyed at being singled out like this um, as a country. And of course, um, it's not just South Africa. The kind of, it may have originated in any one of the countries in the region, really. Um, so what does this mean in terms of vaccination? Experts are hoping that, like with Delta, that the current vaccines do offer protection against Omicron as well. So that is the hope. Um, Moderna, I believe, was also uh, saying that it might be looking into creating a variant-specific booster against Omicron. So those are all things that are uh, part of the conversation with this new variant. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on all of this new breaking news around COVID-19. And do you think um, it's an overreaction? Do you think we'll be okay? Again, we don't know much about it, but uh, certainly the headlines have kind of been sensationalist as with um, a lot of breaking news around COVID.
I really hope it's not uh, something we should worry about <laughs> as much as the first time we heard about COVID because honestly, like that was rough on a lot of people. But yeah, I feel like there's a lot being spread right now. It's sensationalism. You know, you're hearing so much that I, I, me, even as a journalist, I'm not sure what to believe and what to read anymore. So Aisha, thank you so much for clarifying a lot of things. But uh, yeah, I think things are really new for us to react this much because you know this morning i read for example that um the effects of this new variant on people is mild symptoms and no hospitalization have happened but again the numbers are so low that we can't just assume that about this variant also so um yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of information out there that's starting to worry the world. You know, we've been seeing all these travel bans happening and new restrictions in the UK being implemented and things like that. So I, I'm afraid, but I, ho I hope I hope it's something that we could just, you know, our vaccines are going to work fine with and, you know, maybe boosters will be more needed now than before and things like that. Mm. But yeah, that's what I take from this weekend <laughs> thus far. <laughs> Yeah, my take on it is that it makes me a little wary about whether, you know, there is an end to this pandemic. I feel like there just keeps yeah. getting various mutations and variants, and it may just be one of those things that we're going to have to live with and try and overcome for like several years you know, to come. And um, yeah, like Mira said, and like you said as well, Aisha, we're not too sure how serious this one is yet. But what I have, what I figure is that it probably won't be the last one. So mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, vaccine makers are just going to keep having to adapt and maybe implement, like you were saying, different vaccines specific to uh, variants as well. Um, and hopefully we can just manage it because, yeah, like I said, at this point, I don't know where the end is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the hope would be for it to become endemic. Now, for that to happen, the virus has to or whatever strain is dominant, and uh, that would probably have to become weaker and less transmissible. So until we get there, um, it's really hard to say whether we'll have to live with this for a couple of years or whether it's just a matter of a bit more time heading into year two of the pandemic, um, which is about how long pandemics actually last. So um, yeah, even though this virus, this uh, variant has a lot of mutations, that doesn't necessarily mean that it makes it more transmissible or uh, virulent. So that's why we need to, of course, um, I think they're saying a couple, it'll take a couple of weeks before researchers know more about it. The other thing I forgot to bring up is, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about global vaccine equity as well that plays into this because uh, South Africa, actually, their vaccination rate is, I think, at 24% and Botswana is at 20%. So that's also raised concerns because, um, to, you know, obviously you have the virus in active circulation and uh, you have less of that herd immunity if uh, your population isn't vaccinated to um, high enough levels and that can potentially give rise to variants. So there's been criticism there. Also, um, in South Africa, it's interesting because they have problems of vaccine hesitancy as well as oh. issues of access as well in rural areas. So mm. they're contending with, you know, all types of problems when it comes to um, really um, with their vaccine uptake. So that's also a part of this as well. Yes, yeah, so I definitely think that probably the 
first two questions the scientists are going to try to answer is how effective are the approved vaccines against this new Omicron variant? And also, how transmissible is the Omicron variant compared to the yeah. Delta variant? Because mm -hmm. if it's less transmissible compared to Delta, Delta may still continue to be like the dominant variant. So I think those are the two questions that scientists are probably trying to tackle right away. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a good point, Vera. I think um, there's been a lot of good points brought up, especially this idea that we've talked about many times on the podcast before about vaccine equity. And, uh, you know, I, I, when we first heard about this new variant, um, I think countries seem to be very quick in closing their borders to South Africa. Um, but I think there will never be a quick enough response. It's kind of mm -hmm. like by the time that you've identified a new variant, yeah. there's likely to be global spread. We live in such a, a um, globalized uh, world, right? Everyone's, everyone's traveling even right now. And so um, that's probably not the answer. I mean, that's kind of like a too late, too little, too late answer. And so um, really making sure that, that countries have access, equitable access to the vaccines is important. I think it also brings up the question of, um, you know, certainly in the U.S. and in Canada, it's coming around again where we're all going to be um, eligible for boosters. I wonder, you know, is that fair in any way for generally healthy adults to be getting boosters when when there are lots of people around the world who haven't even had um, the chance to have access to their first shot. I, I think my position on that is that, um, you know, boosters are certainly necessary for those who are immunocompromised who probably didn't have a, a strong immune reaction to their first two shots. Um, and perhaps also those, you know, who are most vulnerable in our population, like the elderly. Um, as for everyone else, I, I'm not sure what to say. I wonder if the booster is just putting a bit of a band-aid on the problem. If we were able to get more people vaccinated around the world, you know, would we require the booster so soon? Um, even though some of the efficacy is, is waning, um, as we've seen from, you know, Pfizer studies, I think it's still a really high level of protection. Um, what do you all think of that? Yeah, that's a great point about boosters because um, that also factors into this whole conversation with global vaccine equity and also um, with with the variants uh, that might be, in addition to Omicron, we might be seeing more as, uh, you know, we, we just don't know the trajectory of, of this pandemic. And um, so, yeah, I mean, boosters in terms of, it just also seems that we you know, it's not quite clear whether we have enough vaccine for the entire world. Of course, there are, you know, shortcomings and um, manufacturers are really racing to try to get doses out. But then you hear about, you know, doses expiring, you know, mm -hmm. um, in places like Canada and the U.S. and just going to waste. And I think we talked mm -hmm. about this before, too. Like, how do we have a better distribution and logistical system in order for that things like that not to happen. So I don't know, there just seems to be a lot of um, logistical and perhaps even political um, things at play here that we just don't know about. So it's it's quite a lot to deal with because there's so many issues layer, layered into this pandemic, of course, and now with the new variants. So. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think this isn't going to be the last variant, certainly, mm -hmm. that emerges. And it, and um, even as we all start to get boosters, it's not going to be the last booster we get. I, I really think this is going to become a an annual flu shot type situation um, once we reach, you know, and, endemic uh, status and we're just trying to manage um, COVID. I think to your point as well, Aisha, earlier um, with South Africa feeling very... Um, targeted with with this being sort of dubbed the South African variant or the, the newest variant out of South Africa. Um, and I think that raises a lot of questions about, um, you know, how appropriate is it to be maybe disclosing that information? Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a really controversial thing to say. I think we need to be able to certainly um, monitor and track where variants are coming from, obviously, so that nations can make um, decisions to slow the spread both within uh, countries and and um, and continents and but also on a global scale um, but I also wonder what this does to sort of feed um, some of the you know racism that already exists we've seen a real spike in uh, in violence against people of Asian descent in in you know other countries Western countries um, you know I wonder what happens if you run a Cross someone in your daily life who are, who's from South Africa, you know, the average person probably doesn't respond in a, in a way, but if you already have those underlying prejudices, I, I wonder if that makes you just say, you know, what are you doing here? Are you spreading this variant? I, I think that is also like a really um, important part of this uh, that you just, you can't ignore. What, what do you all think? I think vaccine hesitancy is a huge huge issue Sarah like mm. you were saying and um, actually I was just in a webinar um, that was hosted by ICON about this entire topic mm. um, uh, here at X Talks, and they were talking about vaccine um, hesitancy and how you know like vaccine hesitancy has been a lot more prominent today because of all these different information and things like that that um, that's mostly causing a lot of worry around the world mm. so yeah I thought that entire talk was really really interesting and very relevant to what we're talking about right now mm -hmm. but um yeah I think variants are going to keep coming we this is a virus that mutates a lot and and we've been seeing that so I don't know what the long-term solution is really to be honest with you on how to tackle, you know, this variant and any future variants along with the Delta variant. And, you know, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of confusion now, I feel. Mm -hmm. I, I think it just comes down to what we've, you know, sort of been doing and just keeping at it um, and not prematurely thinking that we're out of this pandemic that, you know, um, I know everything, things have opened up here in Ontario in the province that we're in, in Canada. Um, there are like no restrictions in restaurants or you can go to a, you know, a basketball game and, and it's just like full capacity. So I feel like maybe things like that are a bit premature, especially if your vaccine uptake doesn't, um, uh, match sort of that. So I, I think we have good vaccine uptake here, but I think we're in the high 70, 70%, but in other places around the world, uh, we don't have that. So I think until we reach, you know, that herd immunity that we talk about, um, we still need to be, you know, wary and be, be cautious that we're still in a pandemic. This is not over. And, mm -hmm. you know, keep up 
the mitigation strategies and the layered protection uh, that we have with masks and, you know, distancing and all of that. Like, I know it seems like it's just been going on forever, but just I feel like just a bit more to get across the the hump and to the final leg of the pandemic, which we don't know when it's going to be. But vaccines Mm -hmm. are uh, an important part of that for sure. All right, and with that, I'm going to move on to our next story, and this is about a drug recall. So recently, a seizure drug made by Sagent Pharmaceuticals was recalled over a faulty seal. So the company is recalling specifically four lots of its injectable seizure seizure medication um, over concerns of container closure integrity on vials of the drug product. Now, the voluntary recall was posted by the FDA on its website, and Sagent says that the issue affects reserve sample vials that could lead to a non-sterile product. Now, administering a product that isn't sterile could cause serious uh, infections, systemic infections that could be life-threatening. Um, And this particular injection is used for the treatment, again, of certain types of seizures. The drug is packaged in a single-dose 5 mil vial, and the nationwide recall of the vials affects lots that were distributed between March and November of 2021, so this year. Now, Sagent says that it hasn't received any reports of any product complaints or any adverse events linked to the closure integrity issue. So Sagent has instructed that uh, for people that use the injectable drug to take a look at their supply of the medication, and if they do have an affected lot, that they should isolate it, um, halt any distribution of it if we're talking about pharmacies or other um, uh, retail outlets, and return the product as soon as possible. So pharmacies that might have distributed the product are requested to identify their customers, reach out to them, and notify them of the recall. So I did reach out to Sagent Pharmaceuticals for comment on the recall, but I didn't receive a response. Now, earlier, Sagent also had similar issues with another one of its sterile injectables. In March, the company recalled three lots of a drug that's commonly used in hospitals to treat low blood pressure during anesthesia. After a customer complained of a of loosened, crimped uh, vial over seals. So you see those kind of crimped, it looks like, I don't know, like some kind of metal that's over the vial. So there was a breach or an issue with that. Mm. And again, that's associated with the risk of uh, loss of sterility of the product as well. So the integrity of container closures is critical to drug safety. And um, they're carefully, these um, container closure systems are carefully designed and regulated to ensure that the drug product is protected from environmental factors, such as temperature and changes in light, um, again, to maintain its shelf life and its integrity. Um, so there, we have actually had a couple of webinars here at X Talks that um, talk about this and um, some really great content and information about how um, container closure seals um, should be compatible between the product. Um, for example, the packaging, of course, of um, any drug product should be compatible with it to ensure that interactions between 
things like the closure seals and the product don't compromise the integrity of the drug due to things like absorption, degradation, or precipitation. Of course, the materials used for container closure systems must also be safe for use and should function properly for the intended purpose. Now, packaging issues um, have been a problem this year for pharma. So Merck actually recalled about 22,000 vials of an antibiotic last month after a customer claimed that they found a piece of glass in a vial after the drug was reconstituted. Also, Teva Pharmaceuticals had to recall an injectable cancer drug this summer following a complaint from a pharmacy, again, over a glass particle being found in a vial of a medication. So with all of these drug recalls pertaining to packaging issues, does that worry you guys? Yeah, absolutely. It seems like such an oversight and such like a sloppy mistake. I mean, it's one thing for, you know, a drug to be recalled if there there's something potentially wrong with the drug or it was the wrong drug or something like that but these ones just seem so preventable they all do but especially these ones and it's almost worrisome too that a lot of the time they're being discovered by patients or people Mm, you know who are being prescribed yeah customers um rather than the company itself as you were saying so yeah this is this is something that um definitely needs to be like top priority especially if it's you know the second or third time around for some of these companies but yeah it's definitely worrisome yeah I think it's so important when um, producers of drugs and you know medicines if they say a product is sterile then that means it must be sterile so it should not be contaminated Um, things can cross that barrier you know, like microorganisms or other harmful substances. So I can definitely see um, why this is important news and why they um, did the recall pretty quickly because, you know, a sterile injectable needs to be sterile for the entire shelf life of that product. Hmm. Um, But I think also that the container closure integrity, I think, of course, that's important for all medications, like regardless if they're injectables or not. And I also think it's so important for food and cosmetics as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I um, I think the challenge on the side of the manufacturer is um, number one, to make sure that the supplier of their um, containers is yeah. reliable. I often wonder, like, you know, they didn't disclose in, in this recall, you know, how this happened or how they thought this happened. Um, but sometimes it's on the part of the supplier for the, the glass vials or um, or the whatever they're using to close the container. Um, but the challenge as well is that, you know, their quality control processes generally, they're not able to inspect every single vial that goes out. And so they're, they're, I'm sure, selecting like a representative sample to make sure that um, that the containers have been closed correctly and, and they can maintain that sterility. Um, but it's, it's like anything, they can't look at every single piece that goes out. So that's, that's a challenge on their part. Um, just touching on the the way that in which this recall happened as well, I, I always find it interesting, and maybe this is just because we're all journalists, but um, I always find it interesting that the drug maker doesn't have to disclose, you know, like uh, 
here is the problem and here's how we fixed it. I'm sure that's something that needs to be disclosed to regulators like the FDA once they've identified what the issue was um, to show that it shouldn't happen again in the future. But I think as um, individuals that write about this, but also like consumers ourselves, um, I often wonder, you know, wouldn't it be nice for us to be able to know why it happened and, and what sort of um, precautions they're putting into place for the future? Yeah, definitely not only for consumers and for the company itself, but for other companies so that they learn from the mistakes, mm -hmm. you know, done by other companies. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's make sure we don't make the same mistake. Yeah. And let's double check our own processes. That's true. Yep. I was, I was going to say, say I'm, I'm wondering, maybe the reason for that is because they don't want to jeopardize their um, company basically's public appearance oh they're like reputation yeah the okay. reputation mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. so uh, i think like a big part of that is they don't want to jeopardize that and if they could you know inform the public with minimal amount of information then they'd rather do that i don't know how many companies will come out there and publicly tell them yeah. tell us what they're doing right because then a lot of consumers would you know like to rely on them less or um people would be like oh yeah but they're a shady company because you know they did this 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 and they they should be more aware of their manufacturing processes and things like that so i don't know i think maybe keeping it out of the public eye isn't so bad but at mm. the same time <laughs> at the same time you know people have the right to know and i think that's an important factor yeah, that is true, Mira. I think you're right about that because um, any kind of recall is going to be damaging to a company's reputation. And so you're right by by not disclosing what they're not required to disclose, which yeah, is, exactly. you know, how it happened. Um, yeah, maybe they're sort of doing some some damage limitation there as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're probably just doing more harm than good. Yeah, I think mm. transparency always um, lends a positive image to, to any company. And mm. in the short term, it might be difficult, but I think long term, I think it's only going to be beneficial for a company to be as transparent as they can be. Also, in terms of these recalls, I think I was reading about another one last week about, um, I forget the company, but I think it was over an erectile dysfunction drug. And that also had to do with um, breach of the integrity of the packaging. Hmm. And um, in that case, I believe the manufacturer of the vials or the packaging was, um, forget where, I think it was in India. And again, so this kind of um, sort of demonstrates that when, if you have offshore or if you outsource your manufacturing in other places where you may not be able to keep up with quality control and things like that, mm -hmm. um, that is definitely an issue. And that's where people are likely going to be pointing fingers. It's kind of like, you know, um, you can't just be, I don't know if it's, it's obviously cheaper to pr produce, but like to cheap out on, on things like that. I mean, it's, you might think, okay, it's just packaging, but that's in, integral to, to the drug product, right? Mm -hmm. For maintaining sterility and um, its uh, activity. So. Yeah, and it's traditionally been a lot harder for regulators even to kind of keep an eye on some of these 
um, foreign manufacturers, whether they're just manufacturing the packaging or the drug products themselves. Mm, yeah. And that's only been compounded by the pandemic. I know at the beginning, um, the FDA kind of stopped sending out in-person um, right. inspection professionals to these sites, right, with travel bans and things like that. Uh, and I believe, at least for a little while, they transitioned to, to sort of um, virtual inspections, uh, which I can only assume would be a lot easier to kind of hide shady practices if shady practices were happening uh, than if, if a, a person was there, you know, an inspector was there in person at the site. I think it, it, in terms of the disclosure issue as well, um, most of the recalls that, that we generally tend to cover and talk about are voluntary recalls yeah. by the companies, um, which is good. It like shows they're you know, on top of things. I think it's more so when they're involuntary and they're um, being headed up by regulators like the FDA. I think that's when you see a little more disclosure of what the issue is. I, I remember a few years ago there was... Um, a problem with, I think it was a generics manufacturer uh, in um, in China that was manufacturing things in a very uh, in sterile or unsterile way, um, and their their hygiene practices weren't great and that sort of thing. And and all of that was very much disclosed in the FDA press release about the recall um, because they were the ones kind of heading it up. So that's probably the, another difference there. Yeah. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone. And uh, I won't see you next week, but you'll all, of course, be here. So uh, I hope our listeners tune in again then. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.